So here we are. And I heard um, the funniest thing, or at least I think it's funny. I hope you will think it's funny. Um, my daughter saw it somewhere that, you know, we were having such a good time talking about Charles Dickens because I told the story and I heard some wonderful quotes from Martha here who reminded us that the present um, said, you haven't seen the likes of me, which is wonderful. And Ken sent me a wonderful quote from Dickens about um, once a year seeing people as fellow passengers on their way to the grave. Uh, I know that sounds, not to make it sound grim, that another way of saying we're all walking each other home, we're all here together, alive. But I must admit that this thing I heard from my daughter I've been chuckling about for days where Scrooge on, on Christmas morning, he throws up in the shutters and he shouts down in the street to a boy who's passing by, you there, what day is it? And the young person looks up at him and says, how the hell should I know what day it is? Every day seems so much alike. You know, in this, it's a quarantine joke that there's a sameness to our days. And every day does seem like the day before. And, and there's also, we can't deny it, an atmosphere of uh, sorrow at moments and loneliness because we're, we're in circumstances where and maybe we're with another person or a couple of other people, if we're lucky, maybe we're alone. And we've been living this way for months and months and months and months. And it's interesting to remember that Dickens himself was obsessed, really obsessed with prisons because he had seen his father get hauled off to debtor's prison when he was a boy. And um, I visited one of Dickens's homes in London, and there were prison bars mounted on the wall. He would collect them. And apparently, wherever he traveled, when he came to New York or Boston or visited any place, he would rush to visit the prison. And it was a preoccupation in his fiction and his essays and his life. And it's interesting that uh, one person, not taking the um, comparison too far, suggested that the incredible fertility of his imagination was a way of escaping from this torment this idea that he was going back to prison. He wasn't, it becomes clear, a nice person. He was tormented and tormenting. But there was a way to be free.
I'm going to mute. I can mute you again. So just using that as a springboard, um, I want to, it's so important to remember that many of us, I would say most of us, maybe even all of us, originally came to practice because we wanted to escape from thoughts that torment us, from patterns that torment us, imprison us. And we find ourselves going back and back again. And then we find out to our dismay that meditation doesn't free us from thinking. Have you noticed that? We continue to have thoughts. We continue to go back to old patterns of feeling. So what does free us? And I always try to make sure when I come here that I share with you something that I have really found to be true. So I'm not just blowing smoke. And one thing I know that frees us is awareness. But the one thing that can't be repeated too often is that this awareness is meant to be very light, very light. Our tendency is to, and I've certainly done this, so I can just stick with me, is to be a good practitioner and to work really hard at cultivating awareness. Only, you know what happens when we do that? We go straight back to prison. Because it's our tendency to focus on an object. And the object will then become becoming a really good practitioner. Someone with really good attention. And we're focusing on that. And what's actually needed is something that's very, very light, just like this. That right now, as we sit together in all our little boxes, notice, with eyes open looking, notice that you can notice that you're here. And without thinking about it too much, even with your eyes open, you can notice that there might be a certain tension in your body, a feeling of ease. There might be thoughts. And see that when you notice that, without going too much into what you might be thinking or sensing or feeling, awareness is present. And the Buddha would stress this again and again, to have a quality of attention where just enough attention to know that there's a body in the body, 
to know the sensation or feeling might be present. Just enough that thoughts are present. And to see, see that this is something that you could begin to cultivate in your daily life. And you don't become impaired. One way to know that you're not trying in a way that's helpful to you is if you start to get extremely weird and impaired because you're thinking with such close attention. What am I thinking about? What am I aware of? If you're getting weird, you're going in the wrong direction. Because this is something that we can do no matter what's happening, no matter what you're involved in. You can just for a beat notice that you're noticing. Notice that you're noticing. So this you know, I send out little um, dispatches or what have you sentences about there being light inside the darkness. That might sound like a platitude to you or like, here she goes again, because things actually feel quite dark. What is she talking about? Is this some little bromide? What I'm attempting or wishing to point towards is that no matter what is happening in you, no matter what thoughts you're having, and they can be very dark. I want, and believe me, Dickens was dark. I just read that he once excused himself from a dinner with a clergyman because he had to go finish torturing a child in his fiction. And he was so relishing it so much, he thought of some new way to prolong it. So I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you are thinking about because our practice is to notice that we're thinking or feeling or sensing that the body is here, that I am here. And moment by moment, drop by drop, as we learn to become lighter and lighter in our attention and as it becomes more frequent, we begin to trust, not because someone told us, but from our own experience that we're more than our thinking, more than our patterns, more than our torment, more than our prisons. There is something in us, an attention that can always slip through the bars. So let's sit together and take a comfortable seat and really notice 
yourself, giving yourself your full permission to seek a comfortable seat. What would that mean for you? Because it means upright, but also relaxed. Bringing the attention home to your own experience. Noticing that we're sitting together as a sangha, as a group, but you have your full permission to unfold, to be yourself. In ease. And let your eyes close if they're not closed yet. And just notice how it is today to be in this body without fixating or thinking about it, just notice the body. And notice that you can let everything happen to you exactly as it's happening. And that this attention can come to rest on the sensation of being present now as you find it. And notice that the the brain will think, brains think, and that this is completely natural. And sensations appear and disappear, memories and pictures in the mind. Everything is nature, natural. And that we can let all of this happen and come back to sensation, back to the feet on the floor and the rhythm of the breath and the experience of being present right now. and see that you can come back to the body anytime, 
and begin again. Notice that when you come home to sensation, you also open to an attention that sees without judging. Notice that there's a stillness around you and inside you. A presence that sees with acceptance. Notice that there's an attention here that's open, like the sky.
it doesn't get caught up in liking or disliking. It's just presence. Notice that you can relax into this attention, this awareness that doesn't judge. Resting in it. No matter what is happening inside you, you can gently come back to the sensation of sitting here, seeing, sensing.
Noticing how it feels to relax. To let yourself sink into sensation. Sinking into the body. Allowing it to open to an attention that's soft, light. Completely accepting. Notice that there's a stillness here that we share. A presence that sees and receives.
as we settle down, we open up. Notice that you're so much more than you thought, than you're thinking or sensing. That there's an openness in you. An attention that sees without judgment. Notice how it feels to let yourself be supported by attention, by what's present.
We're not as closed as we think. We're porous, open to life, part of it. Noticing that there is a light here, a light of attention inside you and among us. A presence. You're not separate from life. You're part of it.
Thank you for your practice, for your wondrous attention. If you have questions or observations about the practice, um, we'd be delighted to hear them. You had this fall issue, which I just completed on parabola, the, the issue on balance. And, and I, I've had a burning question, Tracy, for weeks about this after reading it, that it seems to me like there's nothing in this creation that is truly balanced. It's always in flux. It's always in change. And I think that what we do seek is the equilibrium that's not really there. Um, and that's in, that's in what's not the creation. Um, so in some ways we'll never be satisfied with this creation. And, uh, and I think that sort of relates in many ways to the meditation because it makes me aware that, that it's proof, it's proof that one just has to let go of these things. And I just wanted to hear your comments maybe about it. Would you say that that's how it works with the creation, the sense of balance? Cause I know that you edited a whole issue on it, a whole edition on it. I think I will not speak for creation, but just for myself. And it's really quite wonderful and freeing to begin to realize that everything is in movement all the time. And nothing stands still. So to just begin to see in our own lives that, well, here, to put it in the most practical terms for all of us, in terms of making a distinction between this attention that sees that's open and our tendency to freeze and contract around objects, whether it's a thought or a sensation or controlling something, is if we're in this state of noticing, I'm seeing or I'm here, there is no judgment. And if we're in a state of liking or disliking, like this comment, like, oh, this isn't such a good state, or I'm feeling a little tense, or I'm kind of sick of this and things are feeling heavy, that's a sign that we're shifting towards objects, towards objectifying the practice. And it's always about just coming back to just noticing in the lightest way, I'm here. And we can be doing that right now. And then from that, we can begin to see, oh, I'm always seeking to control. Douglas, who's not, he's not showing himself right now, but sent me this fascinating article about how this is going to blow your mind. You know, all those buttons to get the elevator to come or to get the light to change so you can walk across the street, they're placebo buttons. Just Think of that for a moment. They're there so that we can feel like we have a measure of control 
over reality. I'm not kidding. And um, we're innately, we're, you know, in Buddhism, they would say that we're governed by three roots, whether it's desire or aversion. We don't want something to happen or we don't like somebody or a situation or greed or delusion. We want to space out. There must be some after Christmas, something I can buy and research right now um, that we're governed by these three roots. And if we see that as nature, not something to deplore ourselves for, or that we're different from the rest or worse, because we have these three roots, but that this is nature. But even, and even as we accept it, some of the sutras would describe those roots in terms of these big trees that would grow in the jungle that would take multiple elephants to pull down and uproot. And if we gave ourselves a break and realize this is nature, this goes deep. It's not my personal sin, it's my nature. We see that, then we can also see that we have this other quality, this light attention that can learn over time to check in and see what is my state right now? What's happening? Contraction is happening. Greed is happening. A total aversion is happening. Just that, just that seeing. And then we can begin to see that, oh, truth isn't something fixed. It's alive. And that what peace might be isn't some static, perfect equilibrium, but equanimity, which is the crown jewel of qualities in Buddhism. Equanimity doesn't mean to be numb, to be heavily medicated or just indifferent. It means that you can be in the thick of things and open or have this, remember that there's this other quality in you, this attention that can be with this stuff. That you're not, remember in Scrooge, he was contracted and solitary as an oyster and a lot of the, his characters were like these caricatures. And went like what I find, I won't put it on all of you is that I'll, I'll just deplore my own patterns, my own, um, you know, this, here comes this obsessiveness or this fear or this something. And that the way liberation works is slowly, slowly, slowly allowing ourselves to see and go back to that attention. 
so that we become more and more comfortable at moments that this is nature and yet I'm free. Does that make sense? It's so it's it's a moving thing. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that 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 feeling of I like that equality in the in the creation. So just look at it as equanimity, right? And then therefore it doesn't matter if there isn't if if there's not a sense of balance and um and then nothing is really lacking, right? Well, if it matters to you, you're going to be disappointed again and again because you'll go from balance to imbalance. And somebody once told me this, and I don't, there may be people here who really know the ballet, and I do not. But I was once told that Balance Chain made a special dance for his greatest ballerina, which required that she be off balance. Again and again and again and again. Intentionally putting her in conditions where she would be awkward. So that she would be forced to find a quality that didn't depend on balance on poise. It's interesting to consider. Could there be something more free, more dynamic, more alive? And are we again and again in our practice trying to run from not just our thoughts, but a feeling of awkwardness and vulnerability? And, and what if instead of that, the promise is that we could find something that would allow us to be with that? To bear the embarrassment of being ourselves the vulnerability of it. And not in some big violent swoop, but just at moments to be at ease a little bit. So we're like, we're thawing out together. And one of the beautiful things about this incredibly challenging time, this time of quarantine and Great suffering for some people, um, loss of jobs, of lives, of loved ones, of, oh, and we sense it. And we sense it in solitude. And in the midst of it, 
if we can go through this together, and we are going through this together, we will find, we are finding something at moments, this attention, this compassionate awareness that we will not forget. And it's something that will allow us to be in this life, not just in a way that is more comfortable for ourselves, but that allows us to help, not, not by doing anything in particular, but by being a force for good. for awareness, for responsiveness. Just right where we are, just sitting here. We're engaged in another kind of movement. Right now, it doesn't matter what happens after this, you know, and fear will come back or compulsive cookie eating or, you know, all, well, all the things that we do as human beings, especially at this time. But at this moment, to just feel this wish. To be, that we felt it wasn't like an idea somebody else planted in us, but inside us, I wish to be here, to open. Is actually bringing another force to life, to earth. It is just such good news to know that you don't have to be good. You just have to be compassionate. You had mentioned um, the story about Dickens at the table, right? Getting up. And saying, you know, I've got to go back to my room and, you know, work on the torture, you know, the torturing of a child. And I, I you know, I, it strikes me that um, when you're, you, you had said before that you didn't want to speak for creation. But, and then I want to just speak for a different kind of creation, you know, which is artistic creation. And in his case, too be so inflamed and so um, righteously um, standing up in the name of children who are dispossessed and tortured and ignorant and hungry that 
you, you, you have to get so close to the cruelty that's, that's visited on them that you risk participating in it, right? Or you risk uh, being, you know, performing some kind of um, act of phantom cruelty on the page. But in fact, that's the risk that you have to take when you are writing something that is bringing, because you're making, bringing a whole world to life um, in imitation of nature, as uh, William Carlos Williams said. And I think that that's something that's at the core of, of, um, of writing. That's why we remember Dickens, because he's so vivid uh, in the way that he depicts cruelty and you know, kindness. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I'm glad you brought it up because it's kind of a parallel um, to the practice because um, not, and you and I have had such interesting talks about how great artists can be terrible people. Yeah. And, um, and you know, we won't go into that. To be continued on that subject, but they don't have to be and sometimes they are and but in the this is a practice for that asks us to accept the risk of being fully alive it really is and to discover that you know a lot of times we start out like i said when we began starting practice because we want to avoid painful thoughts and difficult thoughts and difficult mind states and if i could just learn to stop thinking or turn my mind off or um not go into dark places and the real practice is to be willing to be open to your full humanity which is not going to just be light, but include darkness and the three poisons. And discover that we're met there, that we're met with this attention that doesn't judge, that's compassionate, that our practice isn't to exclude and, you know, no, only part of Tracy can be here, only part of Ken. Not that part of Ken or that part of Tracy that feels tortured and like torturing, or that part that's racked with fear, or that part that, you know, just wants to run away, whatever it is, but that that part can appear yes. and be met by this attention that receives without judging. It can be welcomed in. So we're reassembling, we're remembering. Literally, this practice means to remember. We're recollecting ourselves so that our energy is fully present vibrantly here. But in a sense, tamed in a sense, given to be seen. Does that make sense? Yes. Tracy, I thought it was extraordinary that you actually used the word embarrassed 
because that's that's something that maybe many of us, particularly me, are are are. Um, I never admitted that during this whole time, not treating as many patients in home care as I am, not doing as much for my grant. You know, I, I'm somebody who's trained to do for others, and that's how you validate yourself. But that you said the word embarrassed which to me is so brave and so huge. And in this whole time, feeling like crap, particularly today, um, but in all, since March, navigating, I have never articulated the word embarrassed, um, which is, I guess, probably a culturally acquired value. Um, but now that you've mentioned it, it will be helpful in processing the next few months and in accepting. Oh, well, I'm glad. I mean, I feel, you know, I'm bound to use it again. <laughs> because being anybody embarrassed? I mean being alive is very embarrassing. <laughs> is, it really is. It really is. Being a human being is very embarrassing. And somehow we find torment is so much more, somehow it has grandeur to it. But, but most of the time we're just plain embarrassed. And But as we come to close now, um, it's interesting to touch in with that embarrassment and like think of it as tenderness or vulnerability and the tenderness of like exposed nerve endings of being really sensitive. And let's take our seat because there's something about that state that that's where compassion comes from and responsiveness and good humor. And we're all taking our seat now to close. And, and we, if you want, if it's familiar to you, put your hands in your heart space and two hands together, like the Buddha and so many ancient ones. And we, we're grateful for our practice for our sangha, for these teachings. And we don't keep them just for ourselves. We don't clutch them. We just let them shine out and offer them in every direction to all beings, every creature, every order, living and dead. May all beings everywhere with no limitations whatsoever on this, be safe and protected. May they be as well as they can be given their conditions. May they be happy, truly happy, and know they belong. And may they be free, all of us free.
Thank you. Thank you so much for your practice and really keep practicing and taking good care of yourselves and checking in.